1: Hello, and a very warm welcome from BrainGuru Studios. This is, of course, The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, and one hour to do it all in. Today is Wednesday, the 22nd of December, and I'm your host, Andrew Page. So we have a wonderful panel lined up for you guys today. Two of the smartest people in the industry. I'm joined by Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, how are you going? There he is. Uh, And Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Luke, how are you going? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Excellent. So, uh, guys, as you know, we've got uh, 10 stocks to get through uh, and some pretty interesting ones today, too, which I'm excited about. But as always, we do start off with a stock of the day. And today, Charter Hall making some news. The uh, property investor looking like it's making a bit of a foray into equity investing uh, by taking a 50% stake in uh, Paradise Investment Management. So uh, Luke, I'll start with you first. What do you think of Charter Hall? and, And secondly, what do you think of this move?
2: Yeah, look, I think it caught me by surprise. It's obviously been a while since I've I've looked at Charter Hall, um, you know, being one of the large caps on the ASX. But obviously, um, property manager is is, is what it's been for its its, its long life. And the move into listed equities, you read the presentation today and and there's some good logic behind it. And I think um, Charter Hall management have have probably earned the right for the the trust of the market. If they are going to make a strategic pivot like this, they've they've done very well in that property management space for, for such a long period of time. Um, but, you know, you, even if you go back and, and read old presentations, the way they communicate to the market, they, they probably see themselves more than just property managers. They see themselves as um, sort of fund managers, in a sense, and, and asset managers. And so it's a logical move to move down this equity path, doing it through an established brand like Paradise, where you would share, I, I guess, a lot of institutional clients and a lot of distribution um, networks you would, you would both have. It, it seems to make a lot of sense. you got it up there. Stock's off a little bit today. Um, you know, if I look at the transaction, I don't think they've stretched on that about 10 times earnings. Um, no, no disclosures if, if there's any performance fees in that, which I think is a big one. Obviously, for fund managers, you can get lumpy earnings around that. But other than that, it looks okay. Um, I think, like I said, there's execution risk, no doubt about that. A property manager moving into into equities, um, but but like I, said, I think I think this management team deserves the benefit of the doubt, and and I think Paradise is is a good manager, a good brand name. Um, so I, I would hold the stock if you're in there. Um, it, it's a little bit expensive, so I'd struggle to come in and say buy. And I think you have taken on some execution risk. But if you're there, I, I would definitely continue to hold. Uh, and, and I would uh, you know, wait to see how this plays out over the over the coming months and years.
1: Yeah, Michael, Luke makes some really good points there. I mean, Charter Hall's really just knocked it out of the park recently. I mean, dividends alone up 40% over the last five years. So a really great track record there. Paradise also has a wonderful track record. So it seems to be a, a, a pretty sensible thing, but the market doesn't like it.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, Charter Hall, along with um, Goodman Group have probably been the two preeminent property um, managers or developers on the market for the last decade or so. The share price performance has been incredible. Um, And the performance of their underlying investments and and their sale and leaseback opportunities have been very, very good to them. Um, So to see them move away from their knitting, if you like, and, and focus on an entirely different asset class would come as a little bit of a surprise to most people in the market, and it certainly did to myself. Um, ultimately, I think, look, if, you just, if you're if just in there as a passive investor in something like Paradise, I think it can work. Um, obviously, if the in-house equity management team of Paradise stay on board and and David Paradise, the, the founder and CEO, remain within that business, I can see it certainly working. I mean, you look at things like Pinnacle. Pinnacle's basically an owner of different um different fund managers, and they've managed to pull that off across a number of different asset classes. So perhaps Charter Hall sees an opportunity to to emulate what Pinnacle's done to some extent and making the first tentative steps in that direction. But look, I, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a distraction in the short term, particularly for a lot of investors who just want that pure property play. So I can see why the market's taken it as a bit of a negative. But long term, if they can pull it off and, and derive value, then it could turn out to be a, a brilliant decision. But I think time will tell as the saying goes. And I think for now, um, the property investments are what's going to really drive this business. Um, so look, I, I quite like the company. We don't own it. We've owned Goodman Group over Charter Hall, But from a long term perspective, they've proved themselves to be a good property manager. It's just whether or not they can replicate that now in the equity space, obviously off a very low base, the equity component of their business.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess. Um... We've also got a bit of experience as to what can go wrong with fund managers too, with what's happening with Magellan as well, and certainly some key man risk and all of that kind of stuff in there. But uh, yeah, it'd be one to watch. Very interesting. Guys, let's get on to the 10 that uh, the viewers have sent in. We're going to start one, which is a relatively new entrant to the ASX. I'm talking about Airtasker, which Frank has sent in. Listed earlier this year, what a stag float this was! So shares jumped. I want to say something like seventy percent in the first couple of days. They got up to about a dollar seventy-six, but since then it's only really been in one direction. Um, cash flow negative. Uh, very early stage business, but revenues, the top line, just growing uh, really incredibly well. Then again, even with the fall in price, you're still paying up for it. On my rough numbers, about thirteen times sales. Uh, Luke, what do you make of Airtasker?
2: Yeah, you've summed it up well. Um, you know, for for people who aren't aware, these guys they, they run a marketplace that tries to match um People looking for odd jobs and ends with with um, what they call taskers, people that can perform those tasks for them. So they're businesses that we love on the ASX marketplaces and, and obviously REA, Domain and Seek dominate mm. the space. But even at a niche level, there's a, there's a couple of smaller ones that I think are really interesting as well. High Pages and, and Campify are two that I don't mind. Um, mm. Expensive, as you, as you sort of outlined, you pay up for these businesses. But because of the economics at scale, you, you, you can pay up in their early stage and as long as that... Business executes over time, you can still do very, very well as an investor. The issue I have with Airtasker is, uh, like I said before, I, I, I love marketplace businesses like most people on the ASX, but I much prefer those niches. A camplifier High Pages, even an REA domain seek, they, they stick to their knitting, don't they, in those core verticals that they're in. You tack on some some other things around it to, to sort of you know um, drive some additional revenue streams, but by and large, those businesses are driven by their, their, their main um, area they focus on and the issue Airtasker has is it tries to be a platform for everything. And I jumped onto Google and tried a few different searches like um someone putting IKEA furniture together, somebody, uh, lawn mowing services, just a few different random things. And AirTasker was popping up as the, the first or second ad on all of them. It's very difficult to try and drive a, a, a platform and, and get a real network effect going when you're trying to be across so many different verticals. And, and that's what probably puts me off a little bit. From a financials point of view, they've got it for 35 mil revenue this year. If you take the the first quarter result, annualize that cost base out, it's about 11 mil cost base. They're going to lose about nine, ten million dollars this year, and that assumes that cost base doesn't inflate, which it probably will. Um, and that's just on cash costs. It's a, it's a business that also does a fair bit of share based compensation as well, which, you know, as much as businesses try to uh, ignore that or, or back it out, it is a real cost to us yep. as investors. Um, the other thing I noticed is doing some website metrics. They weren't fantastic. If you look at SimilarWeb or SEMrush, a couple of sort of website traffic uh, monitoring services, it's ticking up steadily, but it's not it's not shooting the lights out. It's not getting you super excited. And I have an unlisted peer called OneFlare, which is actually doing quite well. It's definitely growing faster, smaller than than um, AirTask, but growing faster. So all that put together, even even today on that, that slide, you had the chart up before, you pointed out, Andrew, I'm still paying a lot for this business and I can't bring myself to do it. Um, also factoring in where we are in the market with these sorts of businesses that are, are loss making. They're, they're certainly, you know, um, not the flavour of the month right now um, globally, not just on the ASX, but the NASDAQ as well. I, I would lean a sell to Air tasker. I think there could be a business there, but I just have to wait to see more traction. Um, and in particular, probably some scalability over that cost base. Because right now, revenues are growing, but costs are growing with them. And, and these are businesses that you want to get that scale. I just need to see it happen first before I could step in.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I totally hear what you're saying, too. You really do have to be prepared to pay up for, for some of these companies when the market opportunity is large and revenues are growing really, really fast. The flip side of that is the trouble is, is that the more you sort of pay up for it, the more it kind of you, you are really dependent on that flawless execution. And if it doesn't happen, yeah. you get this, this asymmetry where it's like they don't quite do it and there's a long way down or they do deliver, but you've kind of already paid for that expectation. So it, it makes it a much more difficult situation.
2: Yeah, and we've had Freelancer listed on the ASX now for, you know, six or seven years. Yeah. And it's a business like like um, Airtask, who's trying to do that generalist sort of platform to, to match people up with uh, generic sort of tasks. And it's one that just hasn't quite hit that scale. And and, and that's, the, that's the risk you pay is you can pay up for these businesses and they don't execute. Um, you know, that they just struggle to, to, to really emerge and, and hit that trajectory. So, yeah, it's a sell for me.
1: Okay, a sell for Luke.
2: Michael, what's it for you?
0: Yeah, Luke's uh, been pretty comprehensive there. Um, the thing with, with Airtasker, uh, as well as you know freelancer, uh, as well as these countless others that keep emerging into the market, there just seems to be a lot of competition at the moment. Um, and there's no doubt that this is a, an area that will do well long term. It's just a matter of identifying which one or two will come out the other side and be the victor throughout all this. Um, because the reality is these companies, although they're growing their customer numbers, they're growing their, their revenues very nicely in order to keep that growth momentum up. They've got to keep spending money on marketing, et cetera, to to maintain that growth and, and to keep interest in their, their company, because the fact is, as soon as those growth numbers start to tail off, the share price will start to struggle. Um, And we've seen that across many industries in the past, whether it's software as a service model, et cetera. So that is something I am cautious of the amount of competition and how difficult it's going to be to identify who eventually will be the market winner in this space. Um, But you look at the key numbers and it looks very, very good. The marketplace volume is up. The revenues are very strong. They even upgraded some of their pro forma um, prospectus numbers in July. But given the hype in the share price after IPO, that didn't really move the dial that much. and It's not uncommon to see much hyped IPOs do very well initially, um, as all those people who missed out on their full allocations or missed out on getting it all bid up the price to try and get a position. But then once that fear of missing out subsides somewhat, you do see the share price start to tail away. So we are probably getting to a point where if you were looking at investing in this company and you were patient, you might want to start sort of really running the, the fine tooth comb over things. But For now, looking at the trend in the share price, it'll be very hard to jump in um, until you start to see that positivity in the market's mindset at least come back. So from a broad perspective, I'm still cautious on this overall space. I know that it's going to do well as a broad sector, but it's going to be very difficult to work out who the winners are going to be. And don't be surprised if these companies like Airtask continue to come back to the market, raise more capital to continue to do marketing and trying to acquire customers from from elsewhere. So from my standpoint, it's a a no go at the moment.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And a good reminder too that when it comes to investing, there's very, there's much less reason to rush most of the time than than people tend to think. And and IPOs are perhaps a good example of that. Um, Michael, I'm going to stay with you for this one. This is uh, sent in by Ashish on Horizon Holdings, the big freight operator. Uh, they say earnings are growing year by year. The price earnings growth ratio is just 0.5. The net margin is 25%. It looks like this thing is significantly undervalued. What am I missing here? Is this a value trap? Look, it's,
0: he's mentioned, um, yeah, Shish has mentioned in his question, things like peg ratio, which at 0.5 is very, very low and ostensibly appears to be very good value, very high net margins. But the issue that uh, it, this company is facing is that it is very much aligned to the coal industry uh, and no matter which way you paint it, uh, whether you think coal is going to get phased out in the very short term or sometime after 2030, um, it's going to weigh on the share price just given that exposure. Um, looking at, as a, at this company's discount to, to its peers within the industrial sector on the ASX200, it trades a 25% discount where historically it's been trading at a 10% premium. So in many ways, this could be a a new normal for this company in terms of the valuation metrics, as people start to become very cautious and consider things like ESG criteria in their investments. Um, The business is trying to evolve their reliance away from thermal coal into other areas, but that's going to take a lot of time, particularly when you've relied on coal for so long. So from my standpoint, I just don't see where the impetus for a turnaround comes because the company is performing very well on a headline level yet people are unwilling to buy into that so um, I just am concerned that any sort of any long term thematics not going to disappear anytime soon um, they have forecasts and earnings uplift in recent times but that is that is going to result anyway in lower free cash flows and, and higher debt as they look to transition away from their reliance on coal so there's just too much going on at the moment for this Business for me to invest in. I just think the sentiment is very poor and likely to remain poor for some time. So I struggle to to build up an investment case despite the metrics
1: looking very good. Yeah, you make you make some good points there too. I'd actually argue, although things have been pretty good recently, you sort of pan out and look back over the, the longer term, and earnings have been a bit lumpy, but they really they're pretty much back where they were in in 2014 as well. And this is sort of before some of these factors have become more dominant in the eyes of investors. Um, but at the same time, Luke, you know, coal's not going away anytime soon. There's still gonna be you're still gonna be transporting a bunch of the stuff. Is is this perhaps an opportunity?
2: Yeah, look, you make a good point, which is earnings are lumpy. And and the main reason why earnings are lumpy is it's an accounting measure. And so for for a business like this that goes through heavy capex cycles, those earnings can, can really fluctuate. And so Ashish um, rightly points out that at a NPAT EPS level, this business has looked okay over the last two or three years. But if you look at free cash flow, which they quite honestly report in their in their presentations, it's been flat at about 720 million for the better part of four years. So, you know, this is a business. Don't don't look at it on a on a PEG ratio. You know, which is a, inherently a growth metric. This is an X growth business. Um, at its core operations, and so it becomes a, a dividend play at, at an eight percent yield. I agree with you. Coal's not going anywhere. This business can do okay. That's a good yield, but to me, that's the only assessment you could make. I, I wouldn't look at it as a growth investment. One thing I did find interesting, they've announced the acquisition of One Rail. Um, you know, and there's a small bit of accretion in there, not much. They paid about six times EBITDA. They um, and um, uh, a rise in trades about 6.6 times so you get a tiny bit of accretion but not a great deal but they're, they're going to divest um, one rails coal assets which i, I found interesting mm. and maybe that's a bit of a esG overlay coming from management as michael was pointing out they are trying to pivot away um you know i get that trend in the industry and i get the pressure they're probably having from from pockets of their share base but I sort of agree with you, Andrew, it's not going anywhere. And it's a sort of business where maybe the best capital allocation decision you can make right now is just to lean into the infrastructure you have, maximize as much as possible and generate as much free cash flow for investors as possible. So I could say hold it best if you're in there just for a dividend. I would not buy it for growth because I don't think you're going to get any. And I actually think there's probably more risk to the downside with a management team trying to move away from what's their core bread and butter, which I, I agree with your point, I think will be around for many more years. And it's just a proven cash generator. So you're taking on some additional risk to move away from that. So hold it best for a dividend investor. If you're there for more than a dividend, I actually say sell.
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay. That makes a lot of sense too. Um, Let's go to Phil's uh, stock suggestion, which is Gnosis. The ticker code there is KNO. Luke, we'll start with you. Phil says, can I get a view on Gnosis? Seems like a cheap SaaS business. Is it because it's poor quality? The latest acquisition doesn't seem to have much synergies with their existing software. Do you know much about Gnosis, Luke?
2: i do and and full disclosure um i do own it in meriwether capital um, it's, it's not a poor business, Phil, it's, it's not as high quality as other software businesses on the ASX. And so I wouldn't look at it you know, trading cheaper than, than peers and, and particularly on a revenue basis. Um, it's about break even. That's what interests me. You know, I, I'm not a speculative sort of investor. So we're talking about Airtasker before, you know, heavy cash burning businesses I'll generally stay away from. But as I get closer to that break even, that's when I get interested. And so I started looking at Gnosis a little while ago. Their core software is around knowledge management systems, um, and for big enterprises. And and it had a couple of early wins on the board there with um, ANZ and and Optus Singtel. But it's been a lean few years for those guys. It's it's long sales cycles, twelve to eighteen months to try and land one of these large enterprises. And of course, being a small business, you might only have two or three tenders on the go at once. And so if you if you're unlucky at landing a few of them, it can be a long time between drinks. So to supplement that business, which is a solid little business. They went and have made some acquisitions. The first one they made was for some um, small, medium business intranet software. And I think that's actually a decent little business. It's called Green, or- Green Orbit over in the US. Um, it, it, it's a software that was only developed a few years ago. So it's very much um, sort of um, cutting edge or, 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 you know, not, not a, a long dated piece of software. And it was very much underinvested in by its previous owner. So Gnosis has taken it over and are just putting in some, some you know, smart ways to drive some sales and, and, and things like that and, and seeing some good results. Phil highlights the the latest acquisition they made was for library management software. And I tend to agree that was a bit more abstract and was potentially just buying some revenue, which I'm not a big fan of. I spoke to management about it. They, they sort of said there is some overlap with um you know, library management software and some of their institutional knowledge management. You know, they've got so many documents and procedures and processes that there's some overlaps there. Not sure if I completely buy it. Nonetheless, they got it pretty cheap and and it is a cash flow positive business. So Look, like I said, I do own it, so I would I would say buy it today. Um, and and I'm actually last time I bought it wasn't too long ago, to be honest, or around this price. Um, it's it's not a, a high growth, explosive tech stock, but like I said, it's um, roughly break even, cash flow positive, and and there's I think a couple of decent um, pieces of software in there with the knowledge management and that intranet software. So one for the watch list if you don't own it.
1: Yeah, fantastic, uh, Michael. What do you reckon, Gnosis? Does it tick any boxes for you?
0: Look, it's probably too small and that's why I've never come across it before. Um, but looking at the company, look, these days anything with a, a SaaS in its name or, or its mm-hmm. its company um, makeup draws a bit of attention to it. But there's a lot emerging onto the business and some are better quality than others. And it's always important to understand the companies they're targeting, the sales cycle process, uh, the volumes required to deliver success. Um, the breadth of your customer base as well is also very important. Um, this company looking at sort of again the key numbers things like recurring revenue and has shot up a lot The customer numbers have grown very nice again a hockey stick type chart and you want to see that from these emerging SaaS businesses um, The operating cash flow has been positive But you have to keep in mind they're coming off a fairly low base at the moment their quarterly cash flow numbers um, around sort of three million dollars a quarter so it is growing in the right direction, but again, coming off a very low base. They are trying to be proactive by bolting on a few acquisitions here and there. So, look, from my standpoint, I probably don't know enough about it to give any um, firm response or, or firm buy, hold, sell. But but just looking at the company as it grows, it's one to keep on the watch list and to monitor further just to see if they can deliver on what they're hoping to achieve. But for mine, it's not one I know enough about, so I'll just go a whole
1: Hold. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, it is it is a tough gig, isn't it? There's only 2000 odd companies on the market to be uh, across. So we'll, we'll, we'll give you a pass on that one. It has
0: held up relatively well on, compared to a lot of other small cap tech type businesses in the last three or four months or so. And that, that might be an indication that the sentiment towards the company is quite good. But you yeah, just do keep in mind that just because the share price does fluctuate up and then down slightly it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything changed or anything wrong with the business. It's just there's been a, a general shift away from some of these smaller ends of the market names and, and that might be hindering the upside, but it certainly hasn't been affecting it too much on the downside.
1: Yeah. And that's that's equally uh, true of even the largest of companies, right? It's not as though large companies don't have big fluctuations and, and that as well. So it's just it's par for the course if, if, you're, uh, if you're on this crazy merry-go-round that is the ASX. Um, Uh, Michael, what about Pentel? So Peter's sent this one in. I have to admit, I haven't heard of this one uh, before. Uh, Actually, I'm going to go to you first, Luke, because Peter asks for you by name. Could Luke Winchester discuss Pentel as it has has given a very impressive trading update for the six months and 12 months ending the 30th of June 2022? And margins are expanding at the gross profit line as well as the net profit line. What do you reckon, Luke?
2: Yeah, look, it's it's one I, I was familiar with. It's not my style of business. So it's not one I've ever really looked at too closely. Um, so these guys do some branded, um, you know, uh, consumable um, grocery style, type stuff. So like White King um, bleach, uh, fluffy soap powder, Jiffy firelighters, things like that. You know, you mm-hmm. find them in the bottom drawer of your kitchen and, and bathroom and all that sort of places. Um, Low growth, low margin, so it's just not the sort of business that I love. I I obviously took a look at it for Peter and, and that trading update the other day did seem positive at face value. But I must admit, Peter, the more I looked, the more I thought there's something a bit odd with this announcement. And I realized after a second. Um, they'd made an acquisition of a business called hampers with bite um, and not a small acquisition about 30 odd mil. And and this is a market cap of Pentel, which is only about 70 itself. Um, and the way they, they updated the market, that trading update, I think they were deliberately a little bit um, obtuse around the way they were providing some key numbers. So Mm -hmm. at a group level, they provided some updates on, on earnings and some guidance around earnings. But when they came down to the segment level, being the core Pentel business of those products I was describing before. Versus the new acquisition of hampers with Byte, they provided a revenue comparison. And I think what that does for someone who's not across this business properly is um, it, it sort of downplays the extent to which these two different businesses play off each other, which is Pentel is, like I said before, very low margin versus hampers with which is very high margin. So they disclose the core Pentel business has declined revenues about six percent, which doesn't sound too bad. Like you sort of say COVID affected six percent. But this is a business that does, um, you know, Hundred odd million revenue, but only four or five milli. But this is this is the margin of this business. So a six percent mm. hit to revenue. I actually think that business has swung to loss making in the first half twenty two, mm. which they didn't disclose. And Hampers with Bite being a, a business that does um, you know, hampers that focuses on corporates and things like that, no doubt about it. That's a business that would do almost all of its earnings in the in the lead up to Christmas, which we've obviously had. So mm. At a, at a group level, the earnings look OK. I actually think if you do a little bit of digging and, and um, like below the surface, I think you've got a, a core business that's really suffering and, and you're having the benefit of the seasonal period of the acquisition you've made. Um, I'd actually probably stay away from this one, Peter. I, I'd stay away until you get more clarity in the half year results as to that segment level breakdown. Um, they were talking about some commodity and some price issues at the core business, too, like a lot of manufacturers are facing. Um, yeah, I would actually say sell. I would say sell and, and come back to it. Keep it on your watch list if you are interested, come back to it. But I actually think that update, despite looking positive at face value, there's probably a bit more to it. And if you go and have a look um, at what I mean about the earnings at the group level and just revenue at the, at the um, segment levels, you'll probably see what I'm talking about. So yeah, a few question marks around that one. So I'll say sell.
1: Yeah, great analysis, Luke. And uh, another reminder that the devil is always in the detail with these things. Michael, have you come across Pencil before? no never before again it's on
0: the smaller end of the scale um, and just generally speaking it would probably wouldn't meet our screens given how low that margin is um, it's truly a, a consumer staples type stock um, anything from household cleaning liquids to soaps uh, dishwashing liquids these things aren't the most exciting areas of the market very commodity like right? yeah that's right and they tend to have very very low margins They do have a long shelf life, which has positive qualities, not only to the the distributor and producer, but also to the the retailer at at the shopfront level. Um, However, with a company like this, particularly in an inflationary environment, um, they've had some issues they've suggested with input costs on some of the commodities on some of the freight as well. And if you get a pick up in some of those input costs very quickly on a margin that narrow, you can see yourself in a bit of trouble. And Luke, by the looks of it, has maybe identified that that business has now gone into a loss-making position. The acquisition of this hampers business in the e-commerce space, again, a more sexy area, screams that they're looking to sort of diversify their business model away um, slightly into a more high-margin part of the market um, just to sort of buffer them during periods such as this. And perhaps there's a little bit of synergies to be had. Maybe they can include some of their bath soaps, et cetera, into some of these hampers. But again, the hamper market seems to be very competitive. Um, every Tom, Dick and Harry is sending them out around Christmas time this time of year. Um, we've received a couple and I'm sure a lot of viewers have as well. Um, and often they they look very nice. They're, they're bundled up and, and parceled very, very pretty. Um, however, a lot of the, the ingredients and a lot of what's in there is often crap to be to be <laughs> frank. So that's just my, my first hand uh, experience with this sort of thing. And I'm just not sure that the the acquisition is as high quality as it might seem on the face of it. So for mine, it's a, a sell this company. I just think there are far better opportunities elsewhere, not only in the large cap end, but also in the small cap end. Uh,
1: yes, yes, hampers. The present you get when you don't know what to get. Um, it, it saved it saved plenty of unimaginative, unimaginative people, including myself, in the past. Um, Luke, I'm going to get back to you for this one. Uh, again, we've had a, a viewer request you by name here. Aaron wants to know, could I please get Luke Winchester's opinion on LaserBond? He was fairly bullish on their prospects six months ago. Does he still hold that view? Well, actually, Aaron, I'll give you a little bit more color on that. Luke was bullish on these guys way back in 2018, where, mate, I'll give you a shout out here. Uh, you, you bought in on Strawman at 13 cents, so you're only up a lazy
2: 600% or so. Uh, has anything changed since then? Uh, The stock price has gone up, uh, you know, which theoretically changes your investment proposition. But no, I'm I'm still bullish on this one, Aaron. Um, You know, this is a this is a great little business and it's a great Aussie success story. It's a family run business out there in Western Sydney in Smeaton Grange. Um, It's founded in 92. I think they listed in uh, 2000 and something and sort of muddled along. Um, To be honest, they probably listed too early in their life cycle Um, and and, and their technology just to, to come back a little bit. Their technology is around surface engineering. So... For lack of a more technical word, they uh, weld an oxide powder onto the surface of heavy machinery and gives it a longer wear life, anywhere from sort of three to 10 times, depending on what the piece of machinery is and, and how it's used. Um, so very interesting technology. Um, and it took a while for it to sort of be adopted by customers in, in that space. You know, when you're talking about miners, construction and, and manufacturing, there can be slow moving beasts, particularly when these are pieces of machinery where if they're offline for you know two or three weeks it's a full shutdown of a, of a factory or a mine site or, or something like that but that acceptance has slowly picked up over time to the point where um you know laser bonds now well known for for the the laser bond process is, is the name of the actual process they use looking to take that international and they're looking to do it in a very interesting way which is to license that technology rather than do it through greenfields expansion themselves so mm. instead of taking a very capital heavy approach of opening up workshops and getting boots on the ground to try and win customers and convince them of how good your tech is. They're licensing their technology um, to customers and resellers overseas, um, getting some consumables as well by selling oxide powders and and things like that. And it's just a much better business model, much higher margin and, and able to grow much quicker because you just don't need the capital to be to be put into international expansion. So that's where the story is going now. And that's why I'm still quite bullish on it. Um, Even come back domestically to Australia. They're only in, um, well, uh, they've made an acquisition just recently, but they were only in New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. Recent acquisition now takes them into Queensland. That looked pretty good at face value, um, picking up about, um, you know, maybe a 15 to 10, 15% uh, accretion to their to their net profit, which looks nice. Um, bear in mind, they have tried to move into Queensland before with some mixed results, but that was just before the GFC. So I do grant them a little bit of a, um, you know, pass on that one and, and sort of wait and see how this new acquisition does. But um, I'm still very bullish on it. Um, I, I, I've uh, participated in the SPP, I will do when that comes up. So still bullish on Laserbond. still a buy from me for sure.
1: Yeah, nice. Michael, it's always a nice proposition if you can say to your customers, we'll extend your uh, equipment for a a further three to 10 years or so. Um, What do you think of LaserBond?
0: Yeah, it came up when I was on the show with you, actually, probably a few months ago now. And it's at the time, I I think I might have given it a hold. Um, It's balance sheet looks very, very good. And I didn't know much about the company at that time. But when you Look again at screening for companies This is certainly one that, that does tick the boxes when you look at things like revenue growth, profit, cash flow, operating margins, expanding, uh, return on equity, tracking higher. So all those factors are definitely good traits that you want to try and identify in companies. Obviously, that can't be the be all and end all. you still got to go away and look into things in a little bit more detail. Um, on a PE of, of 30, 35 times earnings, it doesn't seem overly expensive given those growth numbers. The CEO, I think, owns around 40% of the company. So your interests as an investor are very much aligned with management in, in that case. And as you point out, anything that can increase your production yield or reduce the time of downtime of your machinery and reduce your maintenance cost is productivity enhancing. So it's ultimately a very strong positive, and particularly in this environment as well, when it's very really difficult to get new parts in. Uh, all those new parts are going to be very, very expensive. Businesses around many industries, are going to be looking at ways that they can extend the life of many of these products uh, and then many much of this equipment that's used. So they've obviously had a, a natural tailwind emerge because of the, the boom that we've been seeing um, or the rejuvenation we've been seeing in the mining industry. There's a fair bit of drilling going around. There's a lot of mineral processing as well. And, and all those machines are potential target market for a company like laser So. From my standpoint, I'm happy to go with a buy. Um, it's probably again, a bit on the smaller end of the scale for us normally, but when you're looking at a company that not only meets a fundal, fundamental criteria, but also has a, a good macro backdrop, um, I think it can do well going forward. So certainly one set to, to keep an eye on and I'm happy to give it a buy.
1: There you go, Aaron, uh, our first double buy of the day. It does take us through to the halfway mark. So let's do a quick whirlwind summary of what we've chatted about so far. Charter Hall making some news today with uh, part acquisition of Paradise Investment. Uh, Both of our experts had some really positive things to say about Charter Hall and how it's performed in the past though. Uh, It is a little bit of a move uh, out of left field both prepared to sort of give it the benefit of the doubt, but we got the closest we got to this one was, was a hold from both gents. We then chatted Airtasker, which certainly has some very, very favorable metrics uh, going in its favor, but it is still early stage. It is still bleeding a lot of cash and and both of our experts just really wanting to see a little bit more time, a bit more traction, a bit more, bit more proof of execution. So for that, reason it was a double sell. Horizon, uh, a, a business here that is facing some uh, headwinds, shall we say, uh, with ESG and, and global energy uh, transitions, etc., etc. It's still going to be around for a while, but this is absolutely ex-growth, as Luke said. So maybe if you're a div- purely income-focused investor and you're after those dividends, there's a hold uh, in. Uh, other than that, though, both gents saying it is a sell. Gnosis, we got pretty close on here. Luke does like this one. Uh, Not high growth, but of a a decent uh, quality. Um, uh, Michael, not familiar with it. It is a very small company that Phil sent in, um, but uh, liked what he saw, but was only going to go give it a hold. We we then went to Pentel. So uh, White King Bleach and the rest of it. Very low margin business. Uh, a little bit of uh, a few wrinkles in there if you if you dig into the detail and frankly, just better opportunities elsewhere. So that was our, that was a double sell for us as well. And as you've just heard, LaserBond uh, looks like this for a long time. He still likes it. And uh, Michael thinks it ticks a lot of boxes too and w- w- gave it a uh, buy. Which means that it stays in the call's portfolio. And as all you fine viewers know, we do run a portfolio here on the call. It's been doing rather well, let me say. And the way that we add stocks to it is when two of our experts unanimously give it a buy. It gets added into our portfolio at the end of the day. Uh, if we don't get that, anything else, uh, even a buy and a hold, then unfortunately it does get kicked out. So Laser Bond was already in the portfolio and it remains there because we got another double buy on it today. But let's have a quick look at uh, some of the performance here on a weekly basis yeah, down 1.5%, probably pretty meaningless. Uh, On a month, uh, you got down almost 3%. Financial year to date, we are in the black there with a 7% return also. Some stocks recently added, Elmo, Vectian, EBOS, Adairs, Magellan Financial Group. And uh, if you want to see all of the moves, uh, just head to the website. It's really easy, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. You'll see every single move that has ever been made since the dawn of time. And as I'm very fond of saying, I think it's a great ideas generator. I don't know if Uh, Anyone would suggest you follow this thing verbatim, but if you're after some ideas, you're gonna get some really, really good ones here.
0: having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing.
1: Alrighty then, shall we move on? We are more or less on time, gents, so that is a win uh, in my book. Let's talk, uh, if we can, Hot Chili. Now, what a name for a company. Uh, The code here is HCH. Karen wants to know, is this a play to take advantage of the ESG theme? That's an interesting uh, interesting idea. As far as I can understand, Michael, it's an exploration company focusing on uh, copper projects in Chile. Uh, Not a single cent in sales yet, but no doubt a lot of potential. Will that potential be realised? And is there an ESG angle to this?
0: Um, Hot Chili, it's only one I've come across because of the name, frankly. Um, The more I I look into it, it's it's a very speculative company in this early stage. Um, At the best of times, we're pretty cautious on commodity companies, uh, especially if they're only um, in that exploration phase. Um, The thing is, we do like copper. Sometimes we get sort of pulled in directions of various thematics. And and we do think that the copper long term, given under investment for a number of years, should hold up and and fare pretty well as we move to a more electrified transportation environment. Um, Copper is a big input uh, in in electric vehicles, for instance, and, and that's probably the ESG theme at play there. looking at hot chili specifically um, recently they completed a capital raising or perhaps in in the middle of completing that capital raising which allows them to bring on Glencore uh, the big commodities trader as a 10 percent owner of the company Um, so look from my standpoint that's probably one positive but there's a lot of variables that go into taking an explorer to a profitable producing company so so true. there's a lot of a lot of drilling that needs to go right Um, there's a lot of capital raising that needs to be undertaken. There needs to be the actual development of the mine and making sure the infrastructure's in place. And then you've also got to hope that the copper price holds up at the end of the day, once they eventually get to that production phase. So from my standpoint, it's way too early days. It is on the higher risk of the spectrum. There are other copper players, such as Sandfire Resources, which could be worth looking at. That's got a pretty short mine life. There's another smaller copper producer, Um, called Arius Resources, which has got some good exploration going for it as well. That's probably the two I would look at if I was looking to gain some copper exposure.
1: Yeah. And as we said yesterday on the show, too, even when everything does go right for these exploration companies, you are still talking many, many years and many, many capital raisings for for all of that actual cash flow to be delivered. So just something to be mindful of. Like, what do you make of this uh, this label of ESG when it when it's applied to a, a mining company uh, in in Chile? Am I being too cynical to think that's a bit of a, a long bow, or is there am I, or is there something else to this?
2: Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I mean, you know, I think we're looking for an ESG spin on on anything yeah. now, um, and I get why it's an interesting theme and. For me, I'm, just, I'm not a top-down investor like that. Um, you know, if, if, I, if I find a really great investment from the bottom up and it just happens to be, you know, have some tailwinds behind it because of a good theme, that's brilliant. But I, I never start top-down. Look, Hot Chili, um, as you guys pointed out, one of the best names on the ASX. I, I won't argue with that. Um, but, but you know me Andrew it's, it's, I've never looked at this business before I did take a quick look for for Karen um, and, and my main takeaway was the same as Michael's of Glencore's come in and sort of cornerstone the recent raise they did and I think that's probably the most interesting thing about this stock because as you guys have rightly pointed out the pathway from explorer to producer is just littered with failures. Um, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And so the most likely outcome for, for a business like this is that you get bought out by someone who does have the expertise, the capital and, um, you know, maybe surrounding mines or infrastructure around it to, to actually go through that, that process themselves. So I don't like Michael before talk about Gnosis, I don't know enough about it to say buy, hold, sell to Karen. Uh, or say take sorry to say buy or sell to Karen so I', will just say a hold. Uh, but that that you know point about Glencore, that made it more promising than a lot of other explorers that get thrown up, um, you know on on the call to discuss. So that's one thing it had going for it.
1: Okay, cool, hopefully that helps you there, Karen. Let's move on uh, to the bigger end of town, Michael, JB Hi-fi. so, uh, this is a business that uh, as a retailer has done exceptionally well for a very long period of time and then did even better in COVID as we all rushed to uh, buy those laptops and, and uh, spru- spruce up the old home offices. Uh, so we had net profit up 62% in the last financial year, which is wonderful. And yet the company is on a P of 12. What, there's a little There's a little bit of a, an explanation there. Can you enlighten us?
0: Look, it's, it's most likely that there's been a lot of pull forward uh, earnings because of the, the COVID environment, which is, has meant that the market at least believes that those earnings won't be sustained, at, or certainly the growth in earnings won't be sustained at that level, um, hence why the PE is probably on the lower side. Now, um, this is a company that we had held going back a, a few years and then sold out before COVID. Unfortunately, it's one of those ones you wish you, you held on to. Um, but it's a very high quality retailer, has been now for probably a decade or so, um, They're a company that doesn't really hold a a lot of stock in storage. They hold a lot of it on the the shop front, which does help reduce their costs and also improve their margins somewhat. They've had a a very good knack of evolving their offerings to customers as tasted changes have changed over the years, you know, away from CDs um, towards, you know, iPhones and and TVs and all the other electronic advancements that have occurred over time. They've really managed to deal with that well. It's a company that was being run very well for a long period of time. The balance sheet looks very, very good. They've obviously benefited as well from the big boom we've seen in housing and construction. Going back a couple of years, it was all about apartments, apartments being built needing to be fitted out. And this is certainly a company that could meet the demand for that. Um, But they continued to sort of roll out stores strategically. Um, The sales momentum has slowed in recent times and probably will continue to do that. But for a company, um, which operates a retailer like this, they've managed to extract some some very good margins over a long period of time. Uh, and it's a very high quality business. I won't give it a, a buy just yet, just until that pulled forward demand starts to subside. Um, but it's one certainly to have on the watch list and one that I wish we didn't sell going back about, well, probably 18 or well, two years ago now. So yeah, very high quality, one of the best high quality retailers on the ASX.
1: Uh, Well, don't beat yourself up too much, mate. Um, Selling too early is is something that I think every investor knows the pain of all too well. Um, Myself, absolutely uh, included in that. Luke, JB Hi-Fi, probably at the bigger end of the spectrum for where you typically like to fish, but have uh, have you got any thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, well, look, it used to be at my end of the spectrum, didn't it? Not that long ago. Um, (laughs) And that's why you invest there, there, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. You hope to catch a JB Hi-Fi. Um, look, Michael's right. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable business. And I remember like three or four years ago, um, you know, when you go around your local JB Hi-Fi and probably a quarter of the, the footprint would be CDs and DVDs. And you'd mm-hmm. think to yourself, where's this business going to go? Like, you know, you've got all these stores and, and, and a quarter of their store will soon be disappeared because you could see where Netflix and Spotify was taking that industry. And full credit management, they go and buy good guys and it gives them some home appliance and... Um, uh you know uh white good sort of exposure and and now they've completely pivoted into that area of the business and and uh, the local jb hi-fi near me that what used to be cds and dvds is now coffee machines and vacuum cleaners hmm. um so these guys just don't miss a beat it's just a fantastically run business um michael's spot on the only issue you have is is trying to measure what are the true earnings of this of, of, of jb hi-fi and you see it like you look at their agm presentation from the other week and uh, you go back to FY16, 17, 18, 19, it's just a nice steady trajectory of earnings up about sort of 10 to 15 percent each year. And then a massive, massive jump in FY20 and FY21 as you've got the back end of COVID in FY20 and then obviously the the continuation through through FY21. And so... The question becomes, you know, what what is the, the steady state of earnings for this business and what is that trajectory moving forward? I, I agree with Michael. I don't think FY21 is a base that will then move higher. And you see that even in their first quarter update, they sort of said their sales are down sort of six to eight percent across their um, Australia, New Zealand and then their good guys stores. What that's done at the earnings level is probably a little bit more given the leverage these retailers have. So we know there's going to be a pullback does it come back to fy 19 i don't think so i think there's you know there's some growth that that um probably been pulled pulled forward or market share or some expansion i think the big issue you have is that michael was using the term pull forward i think a lot of retailers did have genuine pull forward your likes of nick Scarly, temple and webster because people aren't going out to buy couches and tables and, and all those sorts of things you know every six months every year JB Hi-Fi probably doesn't have a great deal of pull forward in the sense of you know people I think will continue to come back to JB Hi-Fi and spend maybe not in big ticket items like TVs and things like that, but no doubt the shutdown of travel means that so much excess um, you know leisure, entertaining, travel um, spend has been funneled into retail and the question is as that as that opens up and we can travel again we can book holidays we can. Go overseas and spend our money in other places, uh, how much of that flushes out of the likes of JB Hi Fi? It's definitely a hold. The business is just too high quality to sell. Um, you know, 12 times earnings, as you put it, Andrew. Even if you normalize out like an FY19 trajectory, I think it's about 20 times earnings, if you take that sort of 10 to 15% and model it out a, a couple of years. I can't sell it, um, but given the turmoil, I think you probably just hold it from here. Um, There there are a few question marks, like I said, around all those things. So don't jump in with the buy, but definitely don't sell this business. Just just continue to hold it for sure. Okay,
1: I should have mentioned that was sent in to us from uh, Rowan. So Rowan, hopefully uh, some some good insight for you there. Now, the next in uh, stock, I believe, is Self Wealth, uh, SWF being the code here. Now, this is a company that just shot up uh, to the moon. Uh, a lot of. Oh, actually, sorry, I'm being told I've yeah, got the got... company wrong. Healthco is the company. Uh, I need to update my notes here. Uh, Healthco, let's try that again. HCW. Uh, let's see, Jason has sent that, win, sent that one in. I have an interest in healthcare, ETFs, and REITs. Could I please get an opinion? Uh, Michael, let's kick off with you. Sorry yeah, to give you a scare actually, with self-wealth, too.
0: No, that's all right. I think that's coming up anyway, so we'll, we'll be right. But um, Healthco is um, was, was a fairly recent listing, uh, which was not a spin-off of, of sorts, but was really sort of led by the, the Homeco group. Um, so, Homeco have now got a few different companies out on the market, or REITs out on the market, and Healthco is one of them. Um, it was a, a very good IPO for a, a, biz, for a REIT of this sort. Um, it has sort of been a little less, um, it's, it's been a little bit more subdued, shall we say, of the share price since listing. But it basically is the only pure healthcare REIT on the ASX these days. Um, going back a few years, we held a company called Generation Healthcare, which was another healthcare REIT which was acquired and taken off the market. Um, but HealthCo gives you a diversified exposure to healthcare properties, really from everything ranging from aged care, hospitals, childcare, life sciences, and research, all different types of, of healthcare um, endeavours. This business will sort of capture the properties, at least, which those businesses operate within. Um, It is a company that is looking, or it is a REIT that is looking to expand in size, continue to go out and acquire new sites, and probably raise more money along the way to do that. Um, We quite like that mega trend, talking of of trends. It's not going to be the most exciting exposure in the world, but it will pay you a a decent dividend yield. And over time, hopefully, um, these assets or or these properties will get revalued higher. And that's where you get your uplift in the share price. Once again, it's not going to double or anything like that. So just keep that in mind. But for an income investor who wants exposure to some high quality healthcare property, this is not a bad way to go about it.
1: Okay, fantastic. So is that a buy? It's a I'm happy to give it a buy
0: mainly for an income investor. That's the caveat. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And just a reminder to viewers that context is really important. So make sure you put uh, you, you, uh, you keep that in mind. Luke, this is why I thought we had so much time. It's because I completely forgot about Healthco. So we're going to have to be pretty quick on this one. What do you what do you make of it?
2: Yeah, it's pretty new, so I hadn't looked at it until um, you know getting the list through. Uh, look, it looks interesting. Um, I think the biggest uh, positive I saw was that their balance sheet's almost completely unlevered. So you're going to see um, a lot of acquisitions over the coming months. They're, they've already announced one since listing, um, which was in childcare. You know, so there's a little bit of diversification from healthcare, but but still. In that, I guess, non-office retail sort of space, as most REITs on the ASX give you. So it is, it is sort of a specialised one. Um, I'll actually agree with Michael. I'll say, I'll say buy too. But again, purely on that caveat, if you're an income investor. Um, only because you're early in that sort of roll-up, in a sense of this is a business that will make a few acquisitions, they will re- revalue re- those properties, lever them up, and and you could see some good um, some good earnings growth over the next few years, which obviously translates into um, into dividend growth for these guys. So, um, not my style personally, but but if I was a dividend investor, it's one I would have a look at, particularly if I didn't want office retail exposure.
1: Well, that adds it to our portfolio and we do factor in dividends there as well. So uh, that's important to note. Thank you for that, guys. Well, let's finally now get to self wealth. And if I can, we'll just g- keep these comments pretty brief. L- Luke, staying with you, it's been a real fall from grace here. But uh, as uh, Shivneet um, makes mention, the viewer who sent this in there, the numbers still look pretty good. Was this just the case of the market getting ahead of itself?
2: Uh, to a degree, to be fair, the operating metrics reflected that you had a big boom in retail uh, traders come into the market post COVID, and, and self wealth grabbed a, a good chunk of those um, and, and grew quite strongly. It's 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 since pulled back, and I think the main reason why it is a it is a tough space. There are a lot of competitors in that in that stockbroking. Um, space, Um, obviously headlined by the incumbents, Comsec um, leads the way, uh, along with the other big fours have their offerings. But then you have the VC-backed disruptors as well, like Stake and and Superhero, which are coming into the market as well. So self-wealth, raised and capital a few months ago and sort of flagged they needed to um, expand their product verticals and and look to grow beyond just uh, the, the standard share trading platform, which I think makes sense. And you've got a base of users you can try to monetize in other ways. The issue I saw was that um, if you look at their AGM presentation and the roadmap they've got over the next few years, other than um, you know bringing in some crypto trading, which I think could be a, a genuine driver of, of a revenue stream for them, most of the other things they were talking about rolling out of the next couple of years just look like um, you know experience improvements to the product itself, or in, in a sense just running to stay in the same spot because you've got to keep up with your competitors who are also spending money and improving their platforms as well. So. Again, go all the way back to Airtask, which was the first one. I'm not a big fan of these businesses when they're still burning cash and SelfWealth's burning about a million a quarter. A Bit of money in the bank, so they've got a runway there, but not for me. Look, to be honest, I'd probably hold it just on that huge pullback it's had. I think at these levels, it actually looks quite interesting and they do inherently have a good base of users there. They can monetize in a lot of different ways, uh, but I couldn't buy it until I saw at least that um, business swing towards scale and a bit of, a bit of um, leverage over that cost base. Yep, yep, fair enough. Michael, SelfWealth.
0: I'm going to echo many of those those thoughts by Luke. Um, incredible competition at the moment in this space. It's a really hot space out there, people trying to get a big share of the market. Um, Self- wealth it is really just a trading platform without too many add-ons at the moment, which might be a, a good thing, but it can also be a negative. Um, they've also continued to burn through cash at a rapid rate. Um, their operating expenses as a percentage of revenue continues to move higher. Uh, And it just starts to raise a few questions in the mind of the market as to when are we going to see them come out the other side Mm. and settle in a a highly profitable situation, which could well be some time off for now. So given that competition, given the the rapid increase in expense growth, I'm going to give it a sell.
1: Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Okay, gents. uh, We have to be quick on this final one here. Michael Cochlear, one of the uh, biggest, most successful companies on the ASX for a long time, but it hasn't really done that great in the last couple of years. Is this one to take a closer look at?
0: Oh, look, it's a, one of the best quality companies on the ASX, or at least it has been historically. We no longer own it. We have in the past. Um, COVID hasn't been great to them because of the issues people are having in getting into hospitals for surgeries, etc. cetera. Um, the issue I have with cochlear long-term is that the developed market economy, um, a lot of the people that can access a cochlear ear implant have, and historically they tend to be higher margin customers. Cochlear is now moving into the emerging markets where they are growing uh, their customer base off a very low base. However, the margins in the emerging markets tend to be lower just because obviously people can't afford to pay premium prices. So I think long-term that has a lot to play out. Mm -hmm. They are still the best of breed. So you can always keep it on your watch list. But for me, I am going to give it a hold. It's not one we've got to buy on.
1: Yeah, I think Michael's really touched on a key point there, Luke, especially with the stock at a P of 55. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, it's expensive. Um, it's been one of the best businesses on the ASX for for decades, which is you know why it earns that reputation, no doubt. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Obviously, Michael touched on COVID and and hospitals and issues around that. Um, they're going through some restructuring, um, in particular, looking to roll out a new software package. And, and and funny enough, there's an article in the AFR about only 30% of enterprises that do a big you know refresh of their software or pivot to cloud or whatever they may do, only 30% actually believe they see a benefit from it um most, most of the time it doesn't work out as well as you expect it to so cochlear is now going through that like many enterprises before them have um on the positive one of their competitors demand over in denmark has got a product recall so short term should could be a positive for, for cochlear uh, a lot of things are thrown in there at 55 times earnings. They've got some guidance out of the market, which I think is for about 12 to 20% growth, so a bit of a range there. It's decent growth you're getting, but you're paying up for it, and especially for the quality. Mm -hmm. I could never say sell Cochlear to someone. I think, you know, like CSL, it's been a a losing trade to to say that for for quite a while. So I'll say hold like Michael, but I couldn't buy just with a a lot of those factors sort of muddying the waters a bit, um, and that valuation thrown on top makes it very hard to say buy, that's for sure.
1: All right. Uh, Luke Winchester from Weather Capital, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion, you guys have offered some awesome insights today. We really thank you for it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Have a great Christmas, too. So we have uh, five stocks to summarize for you now. We started off with Hot Chili. HCH, uh, the guys couldn't get too excited about that, just way too early. Uh, JB Hi-Fi, what a quality company, but a lot of uh, sales potentially sort of pulled forward there. Is it in the price potentially? So a hold on both uh, accounts there. We then had a look at Healthco. This was a double buy. This is gonna get added to the uh, portfolio. The important context here is that this is not a growth stock, this is a dividend stock. So this is why you would buy a company like that. Self-Wealth, we couldn't get uh, the guys too excited about that. Very difficult to differentiate yourself. Very competitive space there, although certainly seem to be moving uh, a lot in the right direction with, with some of the metrics they're, they're presenting. Last but not least, we had Cochlear, which as you just heard, what an incredible high quality company, but uh, it's it's going to be a bit more difficult for the next 10 years than it was over the last that is our show for today. We really do appreciate uh, you joining us. And we love it when you join in by sending us some uh, questions. Give us some interesting socks to talk about. The email is thecall at osbiz.com.au. You can tweet us as well. The handle there is at osbiztv. And uh, make sure you head over to our website there, osbiz.co uh, forward slash portfolio to see all the moves we are making with our sample portfolio. But that is it for me today. We look forward to your company at the same time tomorrow